Welcome to another edition of the Quick 2 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shanley. With us today, we're going to try and do things a little differently. We've been having a lot of basketball coaches on. Now we're going to take somebody from the media side of things here. Uh, Evan Toms joins us today. Evan has been writing for NBADraft.net for over five years now, covering uh, elite high school talent, some college talent, all basically in preparation for uh, the NBA draft, and that's what his main focus is, is covering prospects leading up to uh, the draft. So happy to have Evan uh, joining us today. Evan, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. First off, I think when you're talking about elite high school kids that you cover and trying to project them, the biggest thing that people look and see, and it's kind of the hardest thing to, to figure out is, production current production versus future potential so that's my first thing is how do you go about weighing production of a kid who's 16 17 18 years old versus the potential that they could realize you know when you're projecting them to the nba level well it really comes down to translatable skills a lot of that size athleticism and things like that it's an interesting topic because living in Indiana, everyone loves Indiana high school basketball, and they, they really value that current production. Um, as far as prospects goes, yeah, everyone kind of comes at a different rate with that. I remember, um, we don't get, I live in Evansville, we don't get a lot of crazy talent come to Evansville, but we got James Wiseman back when he was 15 years old. He was a high school sophomore, and he played his matchup against Castle. Jack Nungy was a senior that year, and they, uh, he was, you know, months away from playing at Iowa. And Jack, you know, gave it to him. James was fluid and athletic and mobile, but people were disappointed because he was ranked so high. But at the same time, he was 15 years old. So, yeah, you have to kind of just gauge how you think they're going to be um, long-term. And that can be difficult. Uh, everyone kind of grows at a different rate, and – athleticism can tap in at a different time and how about kind of you talked about James and maybe him not reaching his ceiling until you know even now he's still probably scratching the surface of what he could become in the NBA what about kids who produce early on in their careers 15 year olds who may be mature that see a lot of people touting them as the next you know great player but how many of those kids do you see that tap out physically early that you kind of have to pump the brakes on um, their, their projections because of that? It happens quite a bit, especially with the smaller point guard. Some of those guys uh, you, you'll see play varsity basketball as eighth graders like Tiger Campbell. I remember people considered him like the top guy at one point, and he's kind of, um, I hate to say maxed out at an early age, but he people caught up to him. Zion Harmon's been very productive, but he was playing EYBL, uh, finishing up the seventh grade, and it's kind of like you could see him peeking out physically like other kids have caught up to him. That does happen quite a bit, and then you see these raw, real long, but really don't have the skills yet, and those guys kind of make it happen. I remember watching Jonathan Kaminga as a freshman, and he wasn't ready to run the pick and roll and do things. He's a raw athlete, though. And now he's putting it together, and it's kind of like you can see why people are so high on him at a young age. Another thing that's interesting for me is 
people talk about, well, a kid should maybe sit out and not play. And there was talk about, you know, we mentioned James Wiseman earlier. He, you know, attempted to go to Memphis and that whole um, situation came about with his eligibility there. Is there any benefit to a kid um, sitting out and not playing? I don't really recommend it, but I honestly feel like everyone's case is different. I feel like Darius Baisley actually went higher than had he went to the college, to be honest. Uh, I don't really, I don't know why. I think being a mystery man can have some value. Uh, Whereas Mitchell Robinson, had he played in college, I think he would have done himself a favor of, I think he would have got drafted higher. So that's kind of an interesting topic. I don't recommend sitting out. I think people should play and, I don't like the uh, NBA decision makers don't like the thought of somebody ducking competition. So potential versus production, but also the development. And I want to ask you, cause you obviously talk to people in the NBA and in front offices, how much does going to a specific team in the NBA affect a player's development? We talk about colleges all the time. Oh, this, this school is going to be really good because they have a tradition of developing you know, good point guards or, or good shooters or good bigs. How much does that happen in the NBA too, where if a kid goes to say, you know, the Miami Heat, his development is going to be different than if he went to uh, the Denver Nuggets. You know, does that factor in a lot in how you kind of see kids, hey, they would fit in better in these certain, you know, pro systems? Yeah, I think it can. Um that's, that's interesting just because I think everyone kind of gets their shot. The guys that are drafted higher and teams are financially invested in, they want to make that work. I feel like those are the guys that believe in them. But sometimes guys don't don't get a shot, and it does take going to a different team to help them. And guys switch teams all the time now. I was seeing a stat the other day, and it's like, number one picks don't don't stay on their team for the whole rookie contract and that's wild and I think I think overall people get their shot at playing for that that right team over time so I don't know I don't know if playing for that team that fits them as a rookie has a lot to do with their long-term development but I think overall they do get that chance it seems as though and I don't know if you know, you've seen this in your evaluations of kids where you go, man, I think this kid would have had a different trajectory of their career if they had been in, you know, a a different location. Do you get the sense that that's a a real thing, so to speak? It it definitely is. Uh, I think Draymond Green, very good player, but, you know, he plays, you know, for the Phoenix Suns, his value is going to go down considerably. He's right place at the right time. So, yeah, that definitely is true. And um, there's a lot of players like that. It's kind of like Ben Wallace, I think, took getting to that Pistons team to to really find his value, things like that. I think there's other situations like that. Isaiah Thomas is a good example of a guy that really hit his stride with the Celtics and went on. I know he got injured, but he went on to other teams. And really, it, it's crazy to see how different of a player he was. So that is that is legitimate. The biggest topic now we see with you know the high level high school kids, which is where you focus uh, the majority of your time, is this whole debate of 
the G League versus college for kids. And I guess the the first thing I want to ask is, why is the NBA kind of pushing this G League option now instead of maybe three, four years ago when it was still, you know, the G League wasn't what it is now, but it was still a, a, a decent level of basketball. Why do you think it's taking the NBA to, to right now to kind of push this as a real option for kids out of high school? I'm not really sure on that. I know a big thing is it's kind of become popular to bash the NCAA and kids not getting paid, and I feel like the NBA is more behind kids should get paid now than they were uh, probably four or five years ago. And about four or five years ago, there was only a handful of guys not going to college. We had Brandon Jennings back in like 2008. I think Jeremy Tyler skipped his senior year to go play in Israel or something like that. And then you had uh, like Emmanuel Moody did it in 2014. And it was kind of like, well, one guy's doing it. It's not big. Then Terrence Ferguson did it. Then all of a sudden you have Mitchell Robinson not playing at all and Darius Baisley not playing at all. And people are more interested in watching LaMelo Ball in in Australia and RJ Hampton than there are some of these college teams. So I think a lot of people go in those different routes. Some guys do it in prep school, uh, Thon Maker and Anthony Simons. And too many guys found too many loopholes. I think the NBA is like, we we got to do something. And it's really the only avenue. You know, college is great for player development, but at the end of the day, the G League is being set up to pay the kids and purposely prepare them for the NBA. So I think that's a good good option. It's interesting to see how it'll develop, and it should have happened years ago as a as a minor league system for those guys. What is what is your take on G League versus college for kids? And, and is there there's obviously going to be certain kids where the G League is going to be better for their development versus other kids where college is going to be better for their development, correct? Yeah, right. I think I think the G League is a good option I, it's hard to say because they haven't they're adding this whole pathway program that they didn't have before and we haven't seen them play we don't know how it's going to play out I like the idea of it uh, I wouldn't say it's going to be for everybody not everyone's ready to be a pro at 19 which is why they put that one and done rule in but uh, I think it's going to be good for guys like Jalen Green who's doing it um, some of these guys I probably would recommend going to college Isaiah Todd Kai Soto are doing it. Um, we don't have them projected to get drafted. We may be wrong, but if if they're multiple, if they if they're undrafted players, I would recommend them staying in college. That was what the one and done was for. Was guys who weren't pro- projected to go to the NBA need to stay in college and develop. So I think it's good for for Jalen Green. Uh, Daisha Nix would probably be fine there. I'm surprised Kate Cunningham's not doing it with Oklahoma State. Not going but he's going to stay in college and, and do his thing there but i think everybody's situation is different i don't i would recommend the g league for everybody and that brings me to my next avenue we talked about g league versus college what's your take on kids going the g league route versus doing what Lamelo ball or terrence ferguson or rj hampton did and playing professionally overseas instead of you know going to college What's your view on that kind of um, debate? You know, is the G League a better option for these kids um, than maybe playing in a professional league overseas in your eyes? I think it can be. Again, we haven't seen it yet, so we don't know for sure, but I think it definitely can be. Those, uh, it's directly under the NBA. NBA coaches are, 
are there. Of course, they're in Australia watching these guys as well, but they're they're right under the NBA umbrella. I think I think if this option was there a year ago, Lamelo would have stayed. I might be wrong, but I think he probably would have tried the G League. RJ Hampton probably would have too. I might be wrong on that. I I do think it's a better option, and the money the money sounds like it's pretty good as well. They could do endorsement deals, so I think. Uh, trying that overseas thing. I don't think Brandon Jennings had a great experience. Of course, that's been over 10 years now. I had a great experience with his overseas. I don't know um, if Terrence Ferguson would have tried the G League thing. That's it's an interesting topic, though. Affecting their their draft stock is obviously the biggest reason why kids are, are choosing this. We keep going back to this is really just in its infancy stages with the G League doing these, taking these kids out of high school. But how do you think this can affect their drafts, these kids' draft stocks, both positively and negatively? Because there's obviously a risk involved. It's not just hey, go play in the G League and then you're going to be a lottery pick. You know, there are some some potential barriers and some hindrances to um, that can negatively affect these kids' futures. Right, they're going to be playing against grown men who are going for an NBA a roster spot. That's going to be diff- way different than what they're facing in college. Um, as far as that goes, that's the negative. The positive is if they perform incredibly well against these guys. You know, there's uh, NBA guys who come in and out of the G League. If they'll get to play against guys like that. That's that's a really good opportunity if they show up. Uh, if they're not cut for it, if they're not cut out for it, um, I think they'll probably be exposed playing against grown men and in an environment like that rather than going to college. Move on to, you know, we talked about overseas play, overseas teams for these kids. How does the NBA weigh evaluating kids internationally versus evaluating you know the elite american high school and and american college products because obviously you know there's no university system overseas it's kids like ricky rubio playing professionally at 14 15 years old luka Doncic, same thing in your you know dealings with nba front offices how do you see them weighing international prospects versus american college prospects that's difficult. It just comes down to watching them and projecting them and thinking, hey, can they do this against guys at the NBA level? The guy that runs our site and service, Aaron Smith, we were talking pre-draft about Luka Doncic, and he was like, he's you know a great player, but I don't know if he has that, that athleticism to use those creativity that he does right now. That's his charm to work uh, in the NBA. That's why we didn't have him going number one, and ultimately he wasn't the number one pick. That's hard to to gauge, whereas some people did have him number one, and they were they should be right at this point on that. But um, that's why some guys don't get valued as high, and then there's sometimes like E. John Leon, Jan Vesley, who get um, overrated playing against their competition. We think they're going to do more against NBA competition, so um, that's just difficult. It's translatable skills and seeing and, and athleticism and that body and how they're going to respond to uh, the grind of the NBA. And not everyone does it. Some people are better at it than we project. Because it seems to me you you see a lot of young European players 
get drafted by NBA teams without maybe uh, eye-popping stat lines in these pro leagues. And how do you see that coming about? Because is that just a case where, hey, they're still in the you know the early stages of their development? Or is that the caliber of the professional league they're playing in as well uh, affecting their stat lines? It's a lot of it's the early stage of their development, and a lot of those guys are stash guys, meaning they're not going to bring them over immediately. I think they want to draft the rights to those guys, but not necessarily sign them yet, put them on their team yet, and they can um, wait and see how they develop if they truly want to sign them, because there's plenty of guys that get drafted don't end up playing in the NBA. So we have that. I know sometimes that could be a favor to an agent that has one of those players uh, that happens too. We mentioned earlier in the podcast about how the one and done has kind of um, affected how kids view the G League as, as a potential option now. And there's been significant talk about the one and done rule going by the wayside. Um, here in the next year or so, a potential CBA negotiation. How do you think that the removal of the one-and-done rule will affect the college basketball game? You know, you obviously deal with a lot of these high-caliber high school kids. Do you think college is still going to be a viable option for many of them, or does is the one-and-done rule basically going to open the floodgates in your mind? I think college will still be fine. You're still going to have March Madness. You'll have your Duke fans, your North Carolina fans that still love their team, even if they're not getting that number one player or whatever. People bring up that we didn't used to have this one-and-done rule, but things have changed in 15 years. I think a lot of the interest in people who follow draft, there's a lot of draft fans right now that, you know, it's grown over time. People have their own podcasts. We sit at the big boards on Twitter all the time, YouTube channels. I think a lot of their attention is going to go to the NBA, um, uh, watching these guys in high school as uh, prepping them for the NBA rather than college. But you're still, I don't think it's going to affect college as a, as a whole. Um, I think the popularity is still going to be there. Elite kids will still go. Though going straight to the NBA is not going to be for everybody. You're going to have kids that are going to try it that aren't ready for it just like they had back in the mid early 2000s but i don't think it's going to hurt college basketball i think that's going to be a um, an option for many kids anyway and you kind of mentioned this just a second ago how many high school kids do you think you know if the one and done goes by the wayside how many high school kids a year do you do you foresee declaring for the draft and how many in you know your you know over five years of doing these stuff the stuff with nbadraft.net how many high school kids in your opinion are ready to go to the nba straight out of high school each year it's it's only a couple right it is it is um that's that's a difficult question just because being really truly being nba ready very rare um there's going to be a learning curve as far as development i mean I would say 10 to 15 off the top of my head would probably try it each class. As far as being ready to truly contribute at the NBA level, there might be you know one or two guys. We tend to overrate these guys just thinking, this dude's NBA ready. 
already. This guy can do this if he played NBA. And it's like it's like uh, you remember when Romeo Langford was in high school, people were throwing, oh, this guy could average ten points a game if he's in the NBA already. And it's like eh, pump the brakes a little bit. But um, I think there might be one or two, uh, maybe more than that, that would contribute. But it'd be a wake up call for a lot of people. You know, we see. It's always fascinating for me to, you know, watch and talk with people and they say, oh, this kid's an NBA player, this kid's an NBA player. There are really, really good college players who can't stick in the NBA, can't really play in the NBA. And that's got to be the same way with high school kids. And I'll give, you know, a couple kids here that are going to be making decisions about their their you know college or professional careers and you mentioned one of them earlier Jonathan Kuminga who is in my opinion just one of the most impressive prospects I've seen in the past seven eight years of just watching basketball you talk about somebody who has a, a grown man's body at 17 18 years old the athleticism the scoring ability you have somebody like him, and then you have another high-level player in somebody like Chet Holmgren, who has amazing skill set, but is his body physically ready to handle an 82-game season? You know, right. that's something where, you know, I'll get your opinion on this in a second, but you see two kids who are top five players in the country. One of them seems, yeah, he's he could go now and the other one you have question marks about right yeah yeah college is still going to be a good option for guys like that um you know john morant needed his time at murray state to be who he was there's nothing wrong with that um, of course he wasn't ranked as high as chet was but uh yeah everyone develops at a different level and, and they got to be patient and just because they're ranked high doesn't mean they're necessarily ready for the NBA. We see McDonald's All-Americans all the time that really don't contribute in college their first year, so to think that they'd be ready for the NBA is, uh, right from high school would be unrealistic for a lot of these guys. And my last kind of question to you on you know the one and done going away as it appears it's going to, do you see a lot of kids maybe committing to schools just to reserve a spot early and then maybe not sign and later or even sign and then you know after their senior year their last year of high school declaring or do you think it's going to be kind of a pretty cut and dry process for a lot of these kids who will make their intentions known early that hey the NBA is what I'm what I'm trying to do here I think it'll probably be 50 50 I think there'll be some that will straight up say I'm going to the NBA I think you'll get plenty that do play the um, I'm committed to this school and play that for a while and keep their keep their spot and then kind of gauge how they're doing throughout the year um, I think you're going to see see both ways with that is is there anything to kids saying up front hey I'm the NBA is what I'm going after I'm not considering going the college route does that play into the decision of NBA front offices saying hey if this kid's 
you know, committed to this process, that's that's a good thing? Or maybe does that give them pause if they think, hey, man, this kid has a, maybe an overinflated opinion of himself. You know, we don't think he's ready, but if he thinks he does, that may be a red flag. Do you see any of that happening? I don't, I don't think it would be a red flag. I think uh, I think it would just make the front offices say we got to pay attention to this guy, the way they did Anthony Simons when he – was um, draft eligible. I just think it'll make people want to pay attention to him. I don't think it'll it'll make them sound like they are. Uh, I don't think it, it would turn anyone off. Put it that way. And the last topic I wanted to get to you about is you deal with you know the the upper echelon of high school basketball players nationally each year. And one of the biggest topics that we get into is reclassifying. Kids jumping around their recruiting year, their graduation year. And I want to get into some some truths and some explanations about that and how that process all works. How many of these kids that are maybe skipping ahead, you see it from the 2021 class to 2020 or 2019 to 2018 you know jumping ahead a year how many of those kids are actually just going back to the class they should have been in in the first place a lot of them are um i know like musa diabate is expected i've heard he's very likely to and he's a year older for his class so that would make sense and some guys like uh it's kind of common in in canadian players like andrew nempard rj barrett they were um, expected to graduate around 19 years old, so it made sense for them to do it. You, you're starting to get guys like uh, Anthony Edwards. He just, I guess in his case, he was just ready for college, ready to make that NBA money a year sooner. He, he doesn't turn 18 until August, so next month. So he's very young for his class, and he stayed at the top of his class. I think a guy like uh, Christian Lander, who's reclassing, I think he probably, I didn't really talk to him about this, but I'm a, I haven't talked to Indiana staff either, but I would assume that they really pushed to get him on board early. They thought if they, he could contribute um, right now, and in that case, they just wanted to bring him on when that coaching staff gives you that green light, you have the confidence to do it. And in some cases, like, you know, like we said earlier, they're just going back to original class, like Marvin Bagley, it wouldn't have done him any good to stay here in high school. He was projected to, on pace to graduate at 19. He, you don't really need to do that. Um, and he reclassed and stayed towards the top of the class, and that makes sense as well. And you kind of touched on these. Why do kids move classes later, I guess is the right term, you know, maybe drag it out to where they graduate at 19 is that something that's thought out, you know, when they're 14, 15, that, hey, I just want to be a year older and more physically developed and the majority of kids I'm going against, and that's the thought process, or are there other reasons behind that? I think I think at an early age, the thought of them beating whoever's in front of them is what's most appealing. And then as they get older, people mention how they're a grade behind and should be playing in college already or a year above it should be looking on to graduation and when it comes down to it and they're like we can 
we're good enough to contribute at that next level early, it appeals to them to go ahead and, and reclass back to their situation. But I think it happens early. A lot of kids will um, reclass in the eighth grade so they can kind of go into high school and more mature. I think that's common to just want to dominate your competition early or, or compete. And is that something that you guys take into account when you're looking at prospects and evaluating them is their age relative to the the competition they're going up against i know a lot was made um several years ago with shabazz muhammad about you know was his was his age really correct was his birthday really correct or was he a year older um than everybody was saying he was is that something that goes into your evaluations when you're looking at kids is figuring out hey how old are they are they you know, 18 years old and playing 17U EYBL, you know, are they really supposed to be playing against these peers or should they be, you know, playing against in, in a year older than them? It is. It, it has to go into your evaluation. I don't think it should be ignored at all. Um, there's extreme cases where players are a full two years older than uh, other kids in their class, like two Duke freshmen. You have Cassius Stanley. And you have Wendell Moore, and Cassius is two years older than Wendell, and they're both freshmen at Duke right now. And um, it, it should go into evaluations. You get uh, college freshmen who could still be in, you know, like, like we mentioned Anthony Edwards, he could be a, a senior in high school right now, or just finishing. So it, that's got to go into evaluations, especially at a younger age. When you're looking at these freshmen, some of these 16 year old freshmen, that's a that's a big deal. That's a quite a bit of maturity, and especially athletically, and over uh, a true 14 year old. So yeah, that's that's got to go into consideration. And when you guys take that into account, there's still a projection for for each the kids who are maybe a little bit young younger for their grade, and kids who are a lot older for their grade the projection aspect of it is still there, correct? It, you know, if a kid is still maybe older but still raw, you know, that goes into it as well as, as maybe a kid who's who's younger. But at the same time, is that something that's viewed as negative by NBA front offices if kids are older um, than the peers they're going up against? It, it is. Um, yeah, it definitely is, but... At the same time, you can be older, like Cassius Stanley. I mentioned he's still he's still you know an NBA player, regardless if he's older for his class. So it does get considered, but it doesn't completely write the player off. But it's um, yeah, a 19 year old who's dom- on the floor with a bunch of 18, sometimes 17 year olds that that's going to get considered and and brought up quite a bit. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on kind of this whole coronavirus the moving around of draft dates and how this has played out this summer with a lot of guys trying to make decisions with the uh, withdrawal deadline being pushed back do you see many kids this year kind of saying maybe I should go back because of all the uncertainty or is it kind of the opposite and you see a lot of kids going hey you know this might be my time because of that it, it could go either way both options you just or both scenarios you just mentioned are are going to happen and it's really a weird situation not just with basketball but with everything and um 
it's going to be difficult this year projecting some of these guys. No, you're good. Okay. But it's going to be difficult. Some of these guys didn't get their the chance they they had, um, not to mention who's who stayed in shape over this whole thing. Is the lack of you know pre-draft workouts this summer is that going to be a major concern, or do you feel like these the NBA teams have have enough on film, have enough connections to you know understand the off the court things that that they're going to want to find out about these prospects? Do you think it's going to lead to more reaches, or do you think that enough information is is out there for these teams drafting these kids? It might lead to some reaches. I know the interview, the in-person interview process is real important to front offices. Um, I know, yeah, I think that the workouts are important too. People kind of do their own thing. Not everyone participates in the combine, but I know the in-person interviews with the players is something that NBA teams really value. So I think uh, the lack of that, may help some people may hurt some people so it's really interesting to think about that all right evan well again thank you for jumping on board with us tonight and uh looking forward to as we go forward seeing you know how this all plays out and uh if you're listening you can always follow uh evan's work at mbadraft.net it's a, a great site if you're interested in reading up on what how the decisions are made in the in the draft and a lot of the prospects that are getting ready to come out. So Evan, appreciate your time. Take care, man. No problem. Thanks for having me.